The following is a message by Dr. R. Scott Clark of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Almighty and merciful God, we call on your name in the name of Jesus, as we gather before your face, and we would ask that you would come here this morning and minister to us by your spirit, through your word, that you might encourage us, that you might renew us in all those graces in which we uh, need to be renewed, that our minds may be conformed to Christ, that our affections may be renewed, and we may love those things which are, are beautiful, and that our wills may be conformed to to yours, that we may choose those things which are pleasing to you. In all things, O oh Lord, we would, uh, we would that you would be glorified. Forgive our sins and be with us this morning as we meditate on your word. For we ask it in the name of the word, even Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Our text this morning uh, is really 2 Kings 2, 1 through 14, as we think about the mission, the mantle, and the miracles, 2 Kings 2, 1 through 14. But I want to read a little bit from 1 Kings 19, just so you get uh, a little bit of the background of our text. So we'll start in 1 Kings 19, and uh, uh, beginning with verse 19, with the call of Elisha. God's word says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and and, uh, said, Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. And turning over to Second Kings chapter 2, the first 14 verses. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. 
Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood some distance from them, and as they were both standing by the Jordan, or as they were both standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, What shall I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And uh, he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah. And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. As far as the reading of God's word, may he write this word on our hearts, and may he give us a good understanding of it. Uh, This passage is a a fascinating passage and uh, puzzling in some respects, uh, but I think it contains some very important uh, messages for obviously all of God's people in all, all times, but especially people in a place where folks are training for uh, pastoral ministry. This text uh, describes a period in the history of Israel when the two kingdoms were temporarily allied against Syria and against uh, Ben Hadad II, so about the middle of the ninth century or so. And Elijah is a prophet to, uh, to uh, the, the uh, sort of temporarily united kingdom, but but particularly to the northern kingdom. And the question that is before Elijah and uh, implicitly before Elisha and before us uh, from chapter 19 of 1 Kings is whether the kingdom of God will continue uh, or whether the kingdom of God will come to an end. And you see that in, in the famous, rather more famous story in the first uh, eight verses uh, and following of chapter 19 of 1 Kings when Elijah uh, flees from Jezebel and he, he, under the broom tree he laments and he says, I, even I only am left and they seek to take my life and uh, to take it away. So what's happening here, Lord? Are you, are you doing the right thing? Are you administering your kingdom correctly? It doesn't seem so to me. I don't see how the kingdom continues uh, without me, and, and, uh, and I'm the last one. How, how, how does this work, Lord? And, of course, you know the famous story in which the Lord at least initially resolves this crisis, but the crisis continues to linger because Elijah is not always going to be here on the earth. And so what happens when Elijah goes and 
God promises to give him uh, a successor and tells him that the successor is Elisha, the son of, of Shaphat. What do we have here? What we have here in, in this passage and in 2 Kings chapter 2 is an old covenant illustration of an important and enduring uh, new covenant truth, and that is uh, that God has a mission and that the mantle is God's uh, and, uh, and that he has his own ways of administering his kingdom. I mean, the, the message really is that the kingdom doesn't belong to Elijah, the kingdom doesn't belong to Elisha, and the kingdom doesn't belong to you or to any of us. The kingdom belongs to God. If there's any one great thing that any minister needs to learn, and it's a, minister, it's a lesson that every minister learns every day, is that the kingdom isn't his. That, that at the end of the day, we are only servants in God's kingdom. And when I talk about the kingdom, I'm not talking about some ethereal thing, but I'm talking about his church. The church isn't ours. The church is Christ's. And it's his to do with as he, as he sees fit. Even, and perhaps especially, if you really, I think, have a, a, a mature understanding of the kingdom, even and especially when it doesn't seem to make sense to us. Because frequently the way that God operates his kingdom and the way he operates his church doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But that's because... He is God, and we are not, and it's his kingdom and, and not ours. Well, in this particular passage, how, how does this theme work out in the mission, the mantle, and, and the miracles? Well, first of all, you see in chapter 19, quickly here, Elijah's following Elijah's confrontation with Jezebel, and, and you see him uh, coming and, and calling uh, Elisha in this interesting and uh, uh, even enigmatic way, at least, at least to us, um, we normally have a conversation with people when we talk to them about entering pastoral ministry. We don't simply put something on their shoulders and then, and then go by. But evidently, uh, Elisha understood the symbolism of this, uh, of this strange business uh, and uh, that, in fact, he was being called uh, to, to exchange one yoke, a yoke of oxen, for another yoke, and that's the yoke of the service of, of Almighty God, Yahweh, uh, the Lord of the, of the covenant. But Elisha hesitates a little bit, and he, he says, listen, I, I want to go back, and I want to say goodbye to my family. And so Elijah, uh, Elijah says, again, something uh, almost as enigmatic and cryptic as the, the laying on of the yoke, even though Elisha seems to understand the fundamental call uh, implied in the laying on of the yoke. And, and Elijah says, what have I done to you? Well, of course, Elijah hasn't done anything. It's not with me, Elijah is saying, I take it implicitly, that you have to do here. It's with Yahweh, who has, of whom I am a servant. Elijah has learned a, a very important lesson coming out of his conflict with Jezebel. That, in fact, uh, uh, I am not the kingdom. I'm only a servant of the kingdom. I'm only doing what I've been called to do. I'm only doing what I've been commissioned to do. You have to do, uh, this is in a sense between you and Yahweh, the Lord of the covenant. So, uh, so if, you, if that's what you need to do, uh, you, you go and do that. And, and, uh, and then you, you see Elisha uh, clearly comes to understand that in fact he's trading one yoke for another. And even though you have this turning and going back, and, and uh, scholars I think have rightly noted that uh, 
where Elijah allows Elisha to go back to family, uh, there will come a time in the kingdom of God where there is no going back to family. There will come a time when someone comes along and places a yoke on you and enlists you into the kingdom of God, and there's no going back. There's only going forward and and following that one who uh, places that yoke on you. So that's, that's the mission, following uh, Elijah uh, being enlisted into the kingdom. And, and if we go to chapter 2 of Second Kings, uh, now uh, Elijah has been uh, preparing Elisha. Uh, here at seminary you serve uh, an internship. Elisha has been serving a kind of internship with uh, Elijah. And now it's coming to the end, and uh, uh, the uh, narrator tells us here that Elijah is about to go up, about to be taken up in, in a whirlwind. We don't know how much exactly Elisha, or Elijah had told Elisha, how much Elisha understood. But we have now a series of three tests. And uh, the first one, in the first one, Elijah says, Now stay here. The Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. And I, I think implicit in here is a kind of a trial, kind of a test. We don't know how much time has elapsed. We don't know what has transpired, but we know there's been some kind of a, what we might call an internship. And the first test is, will, will, you, will you stick with me? Will you stay with me? Or, 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 or will you not? What, what are you about? Why are you here? What, uh, do you understand what's about to transpire? And you see Elisha at least has some understanding because he swears a, a very serious oath. By the life of Yahweh and by your own life. He swears an oath, I, I'm not going to be separated from you. I'm, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going, if you go to Bethel, I am going to Bethel. And so they go to the sons of the prophets. Oh, some sort of, most people take this to be some sort of community of, of uh, preparation for ministry. So here another, I think, connection with our life in this context particularly. And uh, yeah, I think we can all recognize the smart Alex seminary student. Uh, don't you know that Yahweh is going to take away your master? We knew that. Don't you know that? And uh, Elisha, I think, is on the verge of becoming a, a seminary prof. He says, be quiet. <laughs> but, uh, so there's the, there's the first test. And Elisha passes the first test. And then in verse 4, Elijah says, now stay here. Because the Lord has sent me as far as Jericho. Well, you, know, you, you could stay in this community of, of uh, preparation for ministry. You can stay with the sons of the prophets, uh, such as they are. Uh, because you, uh, if, you know, if you follow me, there's uncertainty. Who knows what may transpire? And, of course, we've all felt that sense of, of uh, longing sometimes to stay. Uh, when I was in pastoral ministry, many times I wished I was back in, in sunny Escondido instead of sitting in someone's living room and, uh, you know, counseling with them about their, you know, uh, their life, their sins, their adulterous affair or their impenitence or, or whatever it is that was that we were dealing with at that moment. I would like very much to have been in the reference room and uh, reading Hebrew, anything, but sitting on that couch in that circumstance. But uh, the Lord has issued a uh, through Elijah, a kind of wade mekum, come with me, follow me. If you're going to enter into the ministry of the kingdom of God, this is what it's all about. Hang on.
So will, will you go? Um, and again, you see, he says, uh, uh, stay here. I'm, I'm going as far as the Jordan. And, and again, Elisha swears the oath, and, uh, and he goes with him. And now there's 50 men, sons of the prophets. Uh, uh, well, again, the second time, uh, just, just before that, they go, and the prophets, sons of the prophets. Again, more seminary sort of immaturity and, and the same response. So the mission is clear. Will Elisha stay with Elijah? Will Elisha enter in uh, ultimately to kingdom service? Does Elisha understand what is uh, transpiring? And now uh, you, you see uh, in, the, in the second part here the, the laying of the mantle on uh, Elisha or the, uh, the, where it begins to come uh, to a reality. Uh, Fifty men uh, are standing at a distance as they are at the, uh, the Jordan at the third test and then Elijah took his cloak right, took this mantle and he rolls it up right, the mantle with which he had called uh, Elisha he strikes the water and God performs uh, the first miracle in this narrative and the water is parted and you have a kind of mini exodus and the same kind of language occurs here that occurs in the exodus they go through the water and they go through uh, on dry Ground, just as God's people had gone through on dry ground and they crossed through. This is a kind of trial and a, a demonstration of the power of the kingdom, a demonstration of the, rea- of the reality of the kingdom in, in very much old covenant terms. And, and when they crossed over, Elijah asks Elisha, now having uh, passed these tests, right, before I am taken from you, right, what, what, what one thing do you want from me? What a question. Of all the things that uh, he might have asked him, that was perhaps the hardest of all the questions. What one thing do, do you want from me? And what do you think Elisha's first thought was? Well, how about you stay here for starters? Don't you think that passed through his mind? I have no idea what I'm getting into. I'm staying with you, but, but I have... I mean, if Elijah sat under the broom tree and said, I alone am left... What must have Elisha thought? Uh, Elisha says, and here we see some evidence that God is at work in Elisha, and he says, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And uh, Elijah says, you've asked me a hard thing. Indeed, you've asked me, uh, he asked him not a hard thing, he asked him an impossible thing. He asked him something that, over which Elijah has no real control. This isn't Elijah's business. If there's anything he's learned since the conflict with Jezebel is the kingdom isn't his and certainly the power of the Holy Spirit isn't his. And yet he gives him a sign. This is how you'll know if, if it will be that if you are present with me when I am taken, then, then, then you will have the double portion. But if you're not present, then we'll know that you will not have the double portion. And as they went on and they're talking and, and I'm sure Elijah's comforting Elisha and uh, instructing him. Right up to the last minute, good Presbyterian, filling all the time with, with everything he had to say right up till the end. And suddenly, uh, the power of God bursts into human history in a remarkable way. The chariots of fire and the horses of fire and the, right, burst into history and time and space in, in, a, in a display of utter supernaturalism. And sweeps Elijah away, which for, uh, for Elijah, I'm sure, was a great relief. But for Elisha, it was, a, it was a genuine loss. And you see it demonstrated when he, when he tears, 
when he tears his clothes. And he, this is not only a change now of status, but it's an expression of genuine grief and loss at his mentor. And you see that there in verse, at the end of verse 12. But then finally you see uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the second miracle. He takes up the cloak, and it's an interesting word there. And if we had time, we, we would talk about that. But there, there's some ideas perhaps embedded in the way that that uh, noun is used in the Hebrew text uh, that, that suggests something unique about this cloak. It's connected uh, with the idea of, of glory in another place in the Hebrew text. Um, that had fallen from uh, Elijah as he's being taken up into heaven in the chariots of fire. What an extraordinary thing. The kingdom of God has burst into history in an observable, powerful, demonstrable, empirically verifiable way. And he takes the last thing that's left of Elijah and he strikes the water. Well, first he invokes the Lord. And again, more cryptic language. Where is Yahweh? Are you really with me, Yahweh? Is it true what Elijah promised, that I would have a double portion of the Spirit? And he tests, in a sense, the Lord, and he strikes the water with Elijah's yoke, with the mantle, and it, and the, and the waters are parted, and he, and he crosses over. Well, time is against us. What, what does it all mean? Well, as I said from the beginning, it means that the kingdom doesn't belong to us. Uh, It means that, uh, like Elisha, we're being called into an office that is in the service of a kingdom that transcends time, space, and history, but that breaks into time, space, and history. We're being called into a kingdom, into a church, in which God, who speaks into nothing and makes all that that is, and into, into a kingdom in which God is able to send chariots of fire, but rarely does so, calls fallible, frail, sinful human beings that doubt and fear and grieve and lose, but whom he has willed to use in the service of his kingdom and for his own glory. He gives marks of office. And for us who are on this side of redemptive history, He has not given a double portion of Elijah's spirit, but he's given so much more. He's given not a double portion, but an innumerable portion, an unquantifiable portion of the spirit of Jesus who has ascended. Not some prophet who sat under a broom tree, but God the Son who entered into human history and who obeyed and who died and was raised on the third day and and ascended and is ruling. In other words, we have the spirit of him whom Elisha invoked. Yahweh, are you really here? And we have that reality. Let us not be those like that one sweet old woman in my congregation once who said, boy, I I really wish I could have been there in the old days when, when you could really see God active. No, let us be here and now. Let us be here and now in the age of fulfillment of the new covenant when not just Elisha has the Holy Spirit, but we all have the Holy Spirit. And we've been drafted not into a typological and temporary illustration of the kingdom of God, but into the reality of the kingdom of God wherein the Holy Spirit of Jesus who is ascended is operating and not just using 50 prophets here and 
and, and some prophets there, but is, has commissioned and established and is growing a kingdom of God that is all over the world speaking all kinds of languages and in which God the Holy Spirit is calling his people through the proclamation of the reality of the kingdom of God and the fulfillment in Jesus, the Messiah, whom Elijah served, who passed by in front of Elijah, but the Jesus whom we serve who is ascended and at the right hand of the Father. We've been called to a much more glorious and a much more real and a much more powerful ministry. We don't look for chariots. We don't look for still small voices because we have the reality, we have the fulfillment, we have the truth, and we have the gospel. And we have the promises of God that he's promised to use all of those things to build his kingdom. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, we give you thanks that you have called us into the service of such a great kingdom that is so far beyond our ability to understand it. And yet, it is a reality, and we know it is a reality, because Jesus is risen and And his Holy Spirit has been poured out without measure upon all of his people in all times and in all places. And you have indeed a a holy Catholic church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we give you thanks this morning that you have called us into that service and into that kingdom. And we pray you'll give us grace as you gave Elisha. And even more grace, a double portion of grace, that we may trust you and know that you do all things well even when it doesn't seem so to us. Hear our prayer, O Lord, and make us useful in your kingdom, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.